the elders and the ministers and the deacons of the church. And that that's important. Because God ordains to use the office bearers He sets among us in ways that are powerful. Far more powerful than those men are. Because it's God who's working through them. And so it's important that we understand how they become office bearers so that we can be confident that God is the one who gives them, that God is the one who's working through them. Now, in preparation for that, I'd like to read two brief passages with you. The first from Acts chapter 6. Now, this is the church in Jerusalem. After Pentecost, the church is growing, it's multiplying. Uh, At this point, it comprises Jews who have turned to Christ. But they're not just Jews from Judea from the area right around Jerusalem. They're also from Galilee. They're also from uh, beyond, from throughout the Roman Empire, really. They uh, had gathered at Jerusalem for a feast, and, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they stayed. They grew. They learned. And so there's all of these new Christians who are just getting to know one another. And that's sure to provide or to provoke some struggles, right? Now, in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see then how the uh, apostles, who were serving really at that time as both elders and ministers, uh, ordained the deacons to assist them in the task of, of caring for the needs of the saints. And then turning back a few chapters to Acts 1, Starting in verse 15, we find uh, what happens shortly after the ascension. Now, this is before Pentecost, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in all His fullness. Starting at verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was, was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us 
a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for, for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen. Now, in our confession, Article 30 reminds us we believe that the ministers of God's Word, the elders and the deacons, ought to be chosen to their respective offices by a lawful election by the church, with calling upon the name of the Lord, and in that order which the Word of God teaches. Therefore, every one must take heed not to intrude himself by improper means, but is bound to wait till it shall please God to call him, that he may have testimony of his calling, and be certain and assured that it is of the Lord. As for the ministers of God's word, they have equally the same power and authority wheresoever they are, as they are all ministers of Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of his church. Moreover, in order that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or slighted, we say that every one ought to esteem the ministers of God's word and the elders of the church very highly for their work's sake and be at peace with them without murmuring, strife, or contention as much as possible. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, selecting the leaders by whom the church shall be governed is not a matter that should be regarded indifferently. The leaders of the church can have an immense impact on the church as a whole. When the church has godly leaders, the people watch them and learn how a Christian should live. They gain inspiration from them, learning to delight in the Christian life. They see in their leadership the care and the preservation of God Himself. But when the church has ungodly leaders, it is certain to suffer. The youth are not catechized in the truth. They grow up not knowing and even despising the truth of God's Word. Adult members are not held accountable for living as God commands them to live. Those who are old or infirm fail to receive encouragement. And the church as a whole becomes a shadow of what it ought to be. Now, we would not leave our children in the care of just anyone. We love them. And so, when we have to go out of town for a time as husband and wife or when something arises, even to take us away from them for an evening. We take care to leave them in the care of someone who is responsible, who knows them, whom we trust. Because, of course, we want them to be well. We want them to be well cared for and well protected. And we know that there's always that opportunity for something to go wrong. Well, if we do that with our own children, how much more will God do with those whom He regards as His children in Christ? Those whom He has adopted at the cost of the suffering and death of His beloved Son. 
God gives us into the care of those who will be a blessing to us, those who will protect us and guide us and shepherd us and build us up in the way that's pleasing to Him. Now, when we studied last week Article 30, we saw that the Lord ordained an orderly government for His church. He's not left the governing of His church, the care of His children, to the whims of men. And so too, when we consider Article 31, and the men whom He gives that government into, right? the, the, the ones He entrusts with leading His church, He doesn't allow it to, to happen haphazardly, but He calls those men, He establishes those men whom He has equipped, whom He has brought to that point of being able to care for His church. And so our theme this morning, as we consider these truths, is that the church receives its office bearers by God's sovereign selection. The church receives its office bearers by God's sovereign selection. And what's unique about the way that God gives the church leaders is that He uses the church itself in discerning who those leaders should be. And so the first point we see is that that these leaders are chosen by the action of the church itself. Several passages in the New Testament make it very clear that the church is to be involved in selecting its office bearers. That's one of the things that we learn from our reading in Acts 6. The apostles established the office of deacon in order to lead in the church's serving ministry. And so they summoned the full number of the disciples. That's a congregational meeting. right? They gathered them all together. And they asked the disciples as a whole, the church as a whole, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So they, they asked the church to direct their attention to those men who are suited to the task, those men whom God has equipped for this kind of work. Now, hierarchical churches, those whose bishops appoint men, they have a different passage they point to. They look to Titus 1 verse 5, where Paul tells Titus that he is to appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. In their view, that means that senior office bearers are to appoint junior office bearers by their own authority, by their own power. If the congregation has any role, it's to help them see which men they respect. But Acts 14 reveals more about what Paul intended in Titus 1 verse 5. There we read how Paul and Barnabas were planting churches in Asia Minor. And verse 23 says that when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now the, the word there for appointed literally means extending hands. It's a word that's often used in Greek for voting, which is why the old Geneva Bible renders this when they had ordained them elders by election in every church. In other words, the appointment of elders wasn't something that they just did on their own, Paul and Barnabas acting without appeal to the churches, but it was something that they did that it, was, it happened under their authority, but it employed the election of the church. It was by the, the raising of the hands of the church. 
God gives us fairly detailed instruction for whom He wants to serve, right? We've seen that before in Acts, uh, or not in Acts, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Lord sets forth what kind of men He wants to serve as elders and as deacons. So for instance, concerning deacons, He says they must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. He later says that deacons are to show themselves to be good husbands and fathers if they are married men. And they must show godliness that has been seen. They must have a good reputation. Likewise for the elders. He says that an overseer, an elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Again, they have to show themselves able to manage their own families. They must be well-respected by outsiders, men who are not new to the faith. In Titus 1, Paul adds that an elder must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And what Paul writes elsewhere indicates that what is true of elders is true also of ministers, that they must meet those same qualifications. So God has shown us what sort of men ought to lead the church. They have to understand the Christian faith well. They must be godly in their character. They must have the ability to lead others in the faith. And the church has no right to place in office those who don't meet those qualifications. To do so would be to entrust God's children to unqualified caregivers. Our Heavenly Father loves His children, and therefore He wants them entrusted only to those who are equipped, who are able to give them good care. Now that limits the field, doesn't it? It limits those who can be selected to serve as elders and deacons and ministers. But how do we choose among them? Acts 1 gives us some beautiful insight in that regard. Judas had betrayed the Lord and then killed himself. And so the apostles gather the congregation, 120 people, and they lay out the need for a new office bearer. There are to be 12. This one, according to the, the prophecy of the Scripture, went astray. They lay out the qualifications. We need to Pick one, we need to choose one who was with us the entire time from the baptism of John up until the day the Lord was taken from us that he might join us in this task. Then they put forward two nominees. right? Two men who met the qualification whom they were convinced were equipped to serve in this office. That's where the church gets the, uh, the practice, generally accepted practice of putting two for one office. And then they pray. And then they cast lots. Verse 26, They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. That one verse is telling. Because we find other places in Scripture where the lot was cast in the sense of drawing a name from a hat. Right? selecting from options blindly, praying that the Lord will guide our selection. But when that is the intended 
practice that's being described. It's always the lot, one, singular. And the action is singular because it's one person doing it. Here we have multiple, we have lots that are being cast by multiple people, plural verb. The only place we see that is in secular literature. When a group of people is casting a vote, for instance, in the uh, the Roman practice of a jury trial, each member of the jury, they would cast their lots, whether guilty or innocent, or not guilty. And that's what we see here. Having set the appointees before them, the apostles ask the members of the congregation to cast their lots. But it's not a democratic process. It's not a popularity contest of any, by any means. Because before they ask them to do that, they pray together and they say, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship. And then they call on the church to cast their lots. What they're doing is they're asking God to use the church to reveal His will by means of their selection to reveal God's selection. And so they're chosen by the action of the church, but they're called through the will of the Lord. That's the second thing we see here. Though the Lord uses the church to show forth who will serve, it's God's will that is being sought. Remember that prayer is important, not because God doesn't know our needs. He does. He knows our needs better than we do. But He wants us to pray to remind us of our reliance on Him. And prayer allows us to confess our trust in the Lord. And so it is with the prayer of the church as it seeks its office bearers. We're praying so that we can remember that God is sovereign over this process. And we're praying as a confession that we believe that the one whom God causes to be elected will be the one that He has chosen. We find that sort of prayer in Acts 1. That's what we see here. When he says, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen. The congregation is confessing that God is sovereign over the hearts of every single person there. He's the one who knows the hearts of these two nominees. He's the one who has already selected which one should serve. And so they're asking, Use us. Use our action, use our selection to reveal your selection. And that's when when Paul speaks to the elders of the church in Acts chapter 20. Although Paul had instructed Titus to appoint men as elders, and although Acts 14 shows that Paul participated in the appointing of elders, something done by men, right? Yet he says to these elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God did this. God made you elders. God caused you to be the leaders of His church. It wasn't me when I laid hands on you. It wasn't the church when they selected you. It was God who was working through them and working through me to set you up as the one whom He had chosen. The one whom He had ordained. Paul saw no contradiction in that because he understood that God is in fact completely sovereign. He's completely in control. He's able to use the decisions of men to bring about what He has ordained. Scripture teaches us that often. 
Think about, for instance, Proverbs 21, where it says the king's heart, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And that's just as true whether the king is a Christian or whether the king is a pagan. He can't do one thing apart from God's will. And if that's true with with kings in their secular reign, how much more true with the actions that occur in the church establishing the leaders over the church? We believe and confess that this is what occurs when we select men to lead the church. Whether as an elder, a deacon, a minister, if the congregation chooses from among qualified men, then God uses their selection to establish and ordain the men He has chosen. And there are two important lessons to be drawn from that truth. The first is that men must not seek to enter office in the church improperly. They must wait until they are lawfully called. Now understand, it is okay, in fact it is good and commendable for men to long to enter that office. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, of elder, he desires a noble task. Same thing could be said of the deacons and the ministers. It's a noble thing to desire to lead God's people. It's a a noble and upright thing to desire to use your gifts in order to serve God's people. It's also acceptable and good to prepare to lead them. There is certainly no sin in striving to bring one's life in line with the qualifications we see in 1 Timothy 3. In fact, would that all of God's people would do exactly that. Would that every man among the church hear this young man. God longs for you to take that list of qualifications that you find in 1 Timothy 3 for the elders and then for the deacons. And use that as a blueprint for the kind of life that you are to live. That's a good thing. God wants you to do that. He also wants you to equip yourself with the skills that are needed for leading the church. It's good for men to study the doctrines of the church and to know them well enough that they can explain them to others. At the very least, you will be able to explain them to your friends and teach them to the children whom God will bless you with. It's good for men to learn how to counsel And how to discipline and disciple. Because we're called to do that within the church, whether we're leaders or not. But, it is not okay to try to manipulate the situation so that we can take up the office itself. God doesn't want men to campaign for elder or deacon. He doesn't honor men who seek to somehow rig the process or unduly influence it. Because in using those kinds of means, we would be seeking to manipulate God. We'd be showing a lack of patience or a lack of faith in God. We'd be revealing a lack of submission to the king of the church. And that inherently, hear this, that inherently disqualifies a man from serving. If we can't submit to the Lord, then we can't expect the church to submit to us. If and when God wills for a man to serve the church as a minister, an elder, a deacon, then the council of the church will nominate him, the congregation of the church will elect him, and by that means he will know that God has called him to that office. And that leads to a second lesson 
regarding God's sovereignty and the calling of our office bearers, those who are elected by the church can and must know that they are called by God Himself. Remember that God hears and answers the prayers of the church. So when the church prays that God would reveal the men He has chosen, He will. And when the church prays for God to use the men whom He has set over them, He will. And when the church prays for God to equip His office bearers, He will. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, The leaders of the church have authority over us that is from God, not merely from men. And so real is that authority that God will hold them accountable for the condition of the church entrusted to them. That cannot be so unless the Lord Himself has placed them in that office. And He does. He ensures that the men He has chosen are nominated. He ensures that the congregation chooses the ones whom He has set apart. And then He equips them for that work to which they've been given. You brothers who serve need to know that. From first to last, it is God who has called you to lead His people. It is God who is equipping you to lead His people. And it is God who will use you in leading His people. And you who have not been called, understand that that is not a reflection of the church upon you. That we somehow don't like you or think you second class. It's not that at all. God calls men when He determines to the office that He has chosen. And when He doesn't call us into office, it's because He has some other work for us. Or perhaps because He's still maturing us or, or equipping us for a work later on. But ultimately it is God who is doing it. We are called through the will of the Lord. And therefore our final point, those men who are called ought to be esteemed as the agents of God. Kids, what does it mean to esteem someone? It's a word that actually has two meanings. You esteem someone by recognizing them for what they are, but you also esteem someone by honoring them. I chose that word on purpose. Because the final thing we need to see today is that the office bearers of the church must be recognized, they must be esteemed as men who serve on God's behalf. And because they serve on God's behalf, we must esteem them, we must honor them. In both senses, they need to be esteemed as agents of the Lord. Let us never forget the significance of the calling that God entrusts to these men. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20 that our elders are called to shepherd, to care for the people whom Christ bought with His own blood. They are to carefully guard them from enemies that attack from without and also those who arise from within. Like Paul, they are to present a living example of the gospel to the people of God. Likewise, the deacons, as we saw from Acts chapter 6, they're called to serve the members of the church in a way that allows the elders and the ministers to do their tasks without being distracted and in a way that also shows the mercy and the love of Christ through their service, we learn elsewhere that the deacons are called to set before the church an example of Christ-like service. That's a huge thing. And we saw last week that the ministers, they're to preach and teach God's Word in all its fullness. They're to instruct the church in the truth and instruct the office bearers in their calling. And of course, they're to set a living example of Christ-likeness before the church. All of these 
are set over the church as leaders. The souls of God's people are entrusted to their care. They bear the burden, according to Galatians 6, of gently restoring, of walking alongside of those who stray and then return. Like Jesus Himself, they are to constantly pray for God's people. Brothers and sisters, these are weighty callings. There is not one man in this church who has been ordained to those callings who is worthy, inherently worthy of that calling and ordaining. And there's not one of us who does not sometimes lose sleep over the needs of God's people and over our weakness in the face of those needs. Like Paul, we know ourselves to be jars of clay who possess a rich treasure within ourselves. We seek to lead the church, to embrace and to live out the gospel. But we see in ourselves so many weaknesses that we know we can't do it of ourselves. We're unfit, we're incapable. And yet, God has promised to use us, to use these men to bless the church. He's promised to equip us sufficiently. He's promised to use our words, our teaching, our service to lead to maturity the church of Christ. Recognizing both the weight and the importance of the calling God entrusts to these men. We must esteem them as agents of God. Above all, that means that we recognize God has called these men as His servants. They're not elders or deacons or ministers because they're so smart or so holy. They don't hold the office because of what they are able to accomplish. It's because God has ordained to do the work through them. So seek God's blessing for them. Pray that your deacons would have eyes to see the needs of the church. Pray for your deacons that they would be able to lead the church by example and by calling them to serve in the way that the church ought to serve. Pray that these men would be, would be men whom the young people of the church would look up to as, as true Christ-like servants. And pray for your elders that they would have the wisdom that they need to impart to the saints, that they would have the ability to, to speak fearlessly but lovingly. Pray that they would have that courage, that they would have that conviction, that they would have such a love for the Lord that they would deeply love the church. Pray for your minister, that he would be faithful in studying God's Word, that he would be accurate in applying it to the hearts of God's people. Pray that he would be compassionate toward those who are hurting and also strong for those who are rebellious. Pray for these office bearers that God would work through them, and God will hear that prayer. He will equip them. He will strengthen them. He will guide them. He will use them in a way that will make it evident that, that it wasn't them. No, it was the Lord who was working through them. So we need to esteem them as agents of God and, and pray for them in that respect but we also need to respect them because of the office they hold. In the military, soldiers and sailors are taught to show respect to their ranking officers, not because they're inherently worthy of respect, but because the office that they bear, the rank that they hold is worthy of their respect. 
And so too for the office bearers of the church. None of these men in and of ourselves is worthy of the office we hold. But Christ is worthy. And it is Christ who has given us those offices. So we need to respect them that through that respect we're respecting Christ. That means, as our confession says, that we must strive to be at peace with them without murmuring, strife, or contention as much as possible. You might not agree with every decision that the consistory or the council makes. You might not think that your minister is the best preacher you've heard. You might think that the elders could do a better job of communicating this or that. You might think the deacons should do certain tasks differently. And you know what? Your concern might not be wrong. And yet we're called to respect them in order to respect Christ. Recognizing that the office they hold is from God. Trusting that God will use them despite their flaws and their failures. When we disagree with them, we're called to bring that disagreement respectfully. Bring your concerns to the men themselves rather than than spreading discontent by speaking to others about it. Ask for an explanation of the decisions that you don't initially agree with. Appeal a poor decision respectfully in writing rather than brashly and argumentatively. In short, deal with them as men whom you recognize as agents of God and it is God whom you will show respect to. Brothers and sisters, beloved of the Lord, our Heavenly Father loves His children Deeply. He does. He wants what is best for us. And He provides what He knows to be best for us. It's in that light that He provides the leaders of His church. Men chosen by the action of the church who are called through the will of God Himself. And therefore we are called to esteem them as the agents of our loving and gracious Father. May the Lord impress that truth on our hearts. May He continue to raise up and equip men to serve in these ways. And may our Heavenly Father bless us richly by the men He sets over us for our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us, that You care for us, and that You provide us, provide for us also through these men whom You set over us. Equip them, we pray that they might serve in a way that truly reflects You. Enable us to 